0: Dr. Tim Jordan back here with you with a brand new episode of Raising Daughters. And I realized recently the new year is fast approaching. Uh, December is already upon us, which is unbelievable for me, at least, maybe for you as well. And so I got to thinking about the new year, and then I revisited a book that I had read years ago that was very meaningful to me. The book is called Meditation a simple eight-point program for translating spiritual ideals into daily life. I read the book by Eknath Horn, and I went on a a weekend retreat out in California with a friend of mine, like a meditation retreat, and I started meditating. But anyway, I'll talk about that in a little bit. but, But it just reminded me of the importance of slowing down. So I thought, wouldn't that be a good intention for not just me, but for all of us this year to really slow down? Uh, Not to be less productive, you don't have to quit your job or retire, you don't need to auction off your kids, although although some of you may want to as a holidays approach. It's just about slowing down. So I want to talk about how we can do that in this podcast. Guys who were sitting around one time having a beer in a local pub, and they're talking about their kids and their families, and this one guy had four kids. He was really busy all the time, and his friend said, that's a lot of kids, he said, do you ever think about, you know, maybe having done it different? Would you ever, do you ever? would you think about going back and doing it different? And the dad said, actually, I, I wouldn't do it different, just with different kids. So I don't want you to get rid of the kids that you have. You don't need to maybe maybe change your life dramatically, but you do need to be very conscious. I heard about this family that was in church one one Sunday, and the preacher was talking about Uh, heaven and hell and and talking about how great the afterlife was gonna be. And at one point he asked the congregation, How many of you want to go to heaven someday? And everybody raised their hand except this little boy, this little five year old boy in the front row. And the minister looked down, he said, Son, don't you want to go to heaven? And the little boy said, Well sir, I would like to go to heaven but I have hockey practice at two o'clock. That's the busyness that I think a lot of us are kind of running around with these days. I wonder if we all could be busy, but without being hurried, that you can do a lot of things, you can accomplish a lot, but not be hurried all the time, not be hurried and harried, if you will. Now, the culture has conditioned us, it's conditioning our kids to believe that faster is better, that hurrying around is normal, that speed means more efficiency. And it's more efficient, supposedly, than focused concentration on one thing at a time or an unbroken flow of attention. I know it's hard not to join the rat race that I've talked about before in these podcasts. Trying to keep up with the Joneses children next door who are doing 18 activities. We have mirror neurons in our brain that like to copy what other people are doing because it helps us feel connected. The culture has sown seeds of hurrying and multitasking and continuous distractions and the need to check our phones constantly, all that stuff. I think the fruits that have been born from all of that in our culture, not just with our children, but with adults as well, is increased anxiety, depression, a sense of disconnection and loneliness, uh, being easily provoked, being more reactive, restless and forever discontented. I'm going to talk in this podcast about slowing down because the truth is that everything that's important, everything that you need in general, is happening inside of you, not outside of you. That's the important stuff. Slow down thinking process. I want you to slow down your thinking process so you have more control over your life. And a lot of people today are talking about how they feel like their lives are out of control. There's so much uncertainty. And the end goal really isn't to slow down. That's not the end goal. The slowing down, though, creates the ability to live in freedom. Freedom from distractions. Freedom from hurrying. Freedom from stress. And the pressure and the cravings that are so rampant in this culture. Our kids are experiencing it in lots of different ways. Kids are being pushed and rushed to early sports specialization you know, it's so important to get our kids on the right team by the time they're five years of age. Otherwise, they're never going to make their high school team, et cetera. I think girls who I work with are becoming more and more stressed and earlier and earlier when it comes to things like college, career choice. Girls as young as grade school, I've mentioned this in, in previous podcasts, talk in my retreat sometimes about the stress of college and knowing what they should be doing with their life. That's grade school kids. It used to be high school, then it was it dropped down to middle school, and now it's sometimes grade school kids. Our young adults are being pushed to think about what college they're going to. They should know their major. They should know their career path by the time they're in middle school and high school. Early, 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 more, 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 faster, faster, faster. Kids go through puberty earlier today, especially girls. All that sexualization happens earlier and earlier. We're pushing them to grow up earlier. When kids go to grade school these days, there's less and less time outside at recess where they can just play at their own pace, because we gotta prepare them for the test. I think families in general have de- have uh, experienced decreased downtime, which is m- usually more slow downtime. So I feel like there is a huge need in our culture today for us consciously to start slowing down. Let me talk about another culprit n- about that. Part about people feeling dissatisfied and discontented and hurrying around and that is the sense that we overvalue multitasking I think that's really true I think multitasking has become like the norm like you should be multitasking it's a good thing when in reality and I'll explain that in a minute it, it's not if you're working on something if your kids are working on a paper if you're doing your work at home on the computer and we complete a little tiny task, like you send an email, or answer a text message, or you post a tweet. When you do that in the middle of uh, some some kind of work, we're hit, our brain is hit, with a huge dollop of dopamine, which is our reward hormone. And our brains love dopamine, because it makes us feel good. So we're encouraged to keep switching between small mini-tasks that give us instant gratification. There's a study done at the University of London that showed that subject to multitask, when they're performing cognitive tasks, they experience significant IQ drops. And in fact, they found the IQ drops were very similar to what you would see in individuals who skip a night of sleep or who are smoking weed. And for those of you who are too old, that means pot. Multitasking has also been found to increase production of cortisol, which is our stress hormone leaving people feeling uh, more stressed out and mentally exhausted. All this continuous partial attention, this constant state of alertness, scanning the world, scanning uh, sites, scanning and scrolling, but we never fully give our attention to anything. And those stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol, they create this physiological hyper-alert state within us that's always scanning for stimuli, provoking a sense of addiction temporarily uh, that's only assuaged by checking in with something. And by the way, we're not actually multitasking. We're not really doing four things at once. What we're doing is we're rapidly switching between different activities. That's what our brain is doing. There's a study from the University of Sussex in the UK that ran MRI scans on the brains of individuals who spend time on multiple devices at once, like they're texting while they're watching TV, that kind of thing. The MRI scans show that the subject to multitask more often had less density in their brain in a region of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. And that's the area that's responsible for empathy and emotional control. That makes sense, doesn't it? Some of the things that we're experiencing today. According to a, a University of California, Irvine study, if you're doing something, like you're doing that report or you're doing some work at, at home on your computer, it takes an average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to the task at the same amount of concentration. They call that recovery time. And that describes the time it takes the, the worker to get back to where he was prior to the interruption. It's not just getting back to restarting the work. It's about are you back at the same level of engagement and focus and concentration. It takes It takes 20 to 23 minutes to do that. That Irvine study also showed that interrupted work is performed faster. Um, so you can do you can do more work, but the problem is the work is less less quality. There's more stress involved, higher frustration. There's more time pressure and effort, more mistakes. So interrupted work may be done a little bit faster, but there's a huge price. Increased media multitasking when you're doing important things was linked to poor performance on measures of academic performance, poor performance on lab measures of working memory, uh, more self-reported impulsive behavior, um, and lesser growth mindset. So many uh, costs to us when we multitask. The other thing that's interesting is the mere presence of a phone uh, when we're talking to people, doing work, the, the mere presence of the phone, even if you're not talking on the phone, just it being there, having it on the table, reduces closeness, connection, and dumbs down the conversation quality. And it also reduces the extent to which individuals feel empathy and understanding from their partners. And all of that negatively affects our relationships. It lowers our relationship satisfaction and prevents people from fully engaging in the present moment. I bet all of you have experienced that. You're sitting around with people, you're talking, and all of a sudden one phone comes out, and boop, 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 all the phones come out, and then people are looking at their phones and not looking at each other. Having those phones around increases people's anxiety, it dampens our creativity, and then we start worrying more than we need to. Then we have a hard time thinking thinking up uh, solutions and problem solving because we're so stressed. I've read lots of articles, and I've talked to people who, who decided that multitasking was not a good thing. And so they what they did was they decided to prioritize and block off time working really deeply so they can achieve more production and better production. You know, they I think it's a good idea to think about what time of day you are the most productive and most productive, and you save that for your deep thinking and your deep engaged work. Don't have any appointments then. Don't have any meetings then. Don't look at your phone then. Don't look at your emails then. Create some structured habits and rituals to sustain that deep thinking. Decide where you're going to work and for how long. Gather everything you need to do that work so you don't have to keep running, getting up and down. Remove all the distractions and catch yourself if you find your attention drifting. Mute your office communication tools. Log out of your emails. Delete your social apps and turn off your phone. I read an article Oh, several years ago about Louis C.K. the comedian, who did some naughty things recently. So some of you may not appreciate him, but his story was interesting. He he had a, a HBO show. He had uh, also specials he did, and he did his own writing. So he was on the computer trying to f- think up new material, and he realized something. He said, "You know, I would sit down. I would start getting just uh, bored, or I was getting stuck with my you know my creativity." And so when I was on the computer with the Internet connection, I would immediately go and look at my emails or I would check check on things. I look I'd start scrolling on social media. He also said this. This does sound like Louis C.K. So I would I would switch on a porn site and he would laugh. But what he was saying was that anytime he he was getting bored and stuck with his creativity, he would quickly distract himself. But what he what he realized was it was in those bored times that he that his best creativity came to the front. That our kids also need to have boredom sometimes because that's when they start becoming more creative. When we're daydreaming, when we're bored, instead of switching to the next app, uh, the next social media site, etc., because that speeds us up, and all of a sudden we lose our focus. So stop multitasking. Create some different kinds of habits when you're doing your deep work, and my guess is you'll be less, you'll be less stressed less anxious, and it'll slow you down. You'll be much more present and focused. Electronics, I think, also have a huge contribution to this difficulty slowing down. Uh, Electronics, devices, phones, social media, things like the phantom ring we hear about. It becomes a compulsion to check your phone and not just check it, but check it now. We can't let five seconds go by when we hear it, when we hear the phone beep, or we or we hear it, or we feel it vibrate. It makes it so much harder to relax and be present and to be calm when we're constantly thinking about or wondering if um, you're going to get another ring. It's also true that things that happen in real time, like conversations with people face to face, take more time. And I think for a lot of people today, it takes too much time they'd rather send off a a, you know a five a five word text than they would to actually call someone and have a conversation so today with all these devices we're there but we're not there we're always reachable that creates anxiety and that creates creates a sped up uh, time frame we have companionship but with convenience every person is pausable you just push a button and move on to the next person. We have intimacy without privacy, and we very rarely have each other's full attention. Every time uh, you, that phone rings, our brain, again, gets that shot of dopamine that goes to our reward center, and it makes you seek and crave more of those. The connection becomes a craving, and a larger boost if, if a stimulus comes unpredictably or it's, it's novel, our brain loves novelty and new things, which is why we love to scroll through social media sites. New things and our brain gets more dopamine, which is the reason why people who do things like video games and stuff as such, they are constantly changing them because people want new things, n- novelty. Not just people, but their brains. I think all the electronic stuff and the social media have also caused us to lose the art of mirroring. You're sitting with someone. You're making eye contact, and you're going back and forth in a nice rhythm. When uh, when they put their hand on their on their face, and you put your hand on your face, that mirroring thing that happens unconsciously is so important for connections. It helps us be more empathetic. It's a way of being in other, getting in other people's shoes. When you're online, when you're on social media, etc., all you do is put your thoughts out there, and then you react. There isn't that sense of back and forth, the rhythm back and forth, that you can actually see people's expressions, feel them, and be more empathetic with it. Because you can always find something that's more interesting, something or someone, just by pushing a a button. We don't ever want to be bored today. And we don't have to be, because you just quickly scroll to something or someone else who seems more interesting. And again, we're less present and less calm. You all have heard about, you've experienced FOMO, fear of missing out. That creates anxiety. That kind of causes us to want to keep looking and going back and forth. We get self-doubts if we weren't invited to something. Not only because we weren't invited, because it's right in your face, through photos and comments. It keeps our focus external. And we care way too much about what other people think what they're doing, uh, what we think is cool. It makes us worry about uh, being judged. We wonder about and we worry about, are we being, are we popular? Are we having as much fun as all these other people online? So we keep scrolling and scrolling and we're never content and we're mindlessly and frantically looking for affirmation and thrills. Does that describe uh, your children's lives and are yours? It makes our brains go faster maybe not our bodies because maybe we're sitting there in front of a screen but it makes our minds our brains go quicker so we need to become aware of the cost to us understand those costs of of the electronics and the social media and all that and the and the multitasking we need to understand it cognitively and also have having felt the difference the difference in your energy level your stress level uh, when you're calm and connected versus stressed out. When the girls come to my camps on the weekend retreats or the summer camps at the check-in table, you've heard me say this before, we have them give their phone to their parents. And there's sometimes some whining and complaining, but, but that's a really important uh, agreement we have with them. No phones, no electronics at camp. And at the end of a week of camp, I always ask the girls in the circle, did you miss your phones? And they all say they did not. They actually say it was kind of nice not to have that stress all week. No FOMO, not worrying about other people. It may have taken them a day or two to kind of forget. But once you're together with people and you're focused and you're walking around together, having meals together and you're connecting, that feels so much different than scrolling on walls. And it takes them being able to be, to be unplugged for a while for them to realize, wow, I'm so less stressed when I'm I'm unplugged. I saw a quote by Timber Hawkeye that said, You can't calm the storm, so stop trying. What you can do is calm yourself, and then the storm will pass. There's a lot of things out there we are not in control of, but we are in control of us. So I want to offer you another solution based upon that book I told you about a little bit ago from Eknathi Swarn. The book is called Meditation, A Simple Eight-Point Program for Translating Spiritual Ideals into Daily Life. And I read that book, oh gosh, probably 30 years ago. I actually just checked the book. It was in 1995 that I read the book. And then a friend of mine and I went out to California to a weekend retreat uh, that was based on the book because I wanted to learn how to meditate. That's what I'm going to talk about. It's one of the solutions you might incorporate into your life this year, um, there's a meditation retreat out in uh, I can't remember Petaluma, California, maybe. But anyway, I decided that I wanted to sort of learn how to calm my brain, and because I like someone described one time, uh, sometimes if you don't do quieting kinds of things, your brain is like having a monkey in there jumping from branch to branch, thought to thought, and it feels really out of control. And I know from personal experience and also from talking to a lot of other people that it's easy to have the excuse of, I don't have time for that. But the truth is we do, if we make it important. Um, I remember one time, oh, a long time ago, I, I saw a talk by Stephen Covey in St. Louis. He came and gave a talk about his seven habits of highly effective people. And, you know, some of his habits are things like beginning with the end in mind, First things first, and the first things first when he did a demonstration, it was really interesting. He had two large canisters on the on a table on the stage, and they're um, empty, and you could see through them. And then he had all these different size rocks, and so he started just taking the rocks and just kind of putting them into this one container. And he said, you know, some of the rocks were things like busyness kind of things, things that were important but not crucial, things that were crucial. Um, Some of the things were like your marriage, time with your kids, time for spirituality. Some of it was work-related kinds of things, all kinds of stuff. And he's just kind of putting it in there willy-nilly. And at the end, there's a lot of big rocks that he couldn't fit in. And those rocks were the important things, things like family, things like time with your kids. So he said, let me show you a different way of, of filling up this canister. So he said, let's put first things first. What's most important? So he took things like my marriage, which was a big rock. He put it in the bottom. Time with my children, my spirituality, taking care of myself. He put all those big rocks in the bottom. And then he started adding things that were maybe a little bit less important. Then things that were uh, that were less urgent. Um, that were uh, smaller pebbles. Until the end, all he had left was some sand, which was things that were just kind of busy things. And he put that in there and it all fit. But it only fit when he put the big rocks in there first. It's a really good demonstration of taking the time to do the first things and the most important things first. So I've read several meditation books, probably about a handful over the years. And almost all of them, not almost, all of them say that the best time to meditate is in the morning. Most of them uh, try and get you to uh, wake up early and go to bed early. There's some natural rhythms that happen at day and night. Things like sunrise. Sunrise is such a peaceful, calm time of the day. Less going on. Less interruptions. If you you know, Less phone calls. I mean, you can always turn your phone off, which you should. But it's just a quieter, calmer time of the day. And people all over the world are, are meditating at that time as well. When my kids were young, I had gone on this uh, weekend retreat and read the book, I started getting up earlier, so because once the kids were up at I don't know what time, six thirty, seven o'clock, it was not chaos, but it was noisy and all that. So I created a little spot, uh, actually in our dining room, in the corner. I had a meditation chair there. I had some some spiritual kind of books. I had some uh, like a, a boombox back then for some quiet music. And so I would go there. I think it was about six or six thirty in the morning. I can't remember exactly. And I would have about a half an hour of meditation time. And I did it religiously, I did it for years. And if my kids got up early, they knew that dad was in there having his quiet time, so they were very respectful. They didn't come in there and start screaming and yelling. I did it for years. I still do it sometimes, but I've kind of gotten out of the habit. Sometimes I wake up early in the morning, I just lay in bed and just kind of have my quiet meditative time there, um, which which is a good thing, but I don't think it's quite the same. So if you put quiet meditation time first, then you will have time for it. and those times in your life when there's more going on and you're more anxious and all that and you have more things to do and more things to accomplish that's the time you need meditation quiet time even more not less. and having learning how to meditate is not an easy thing. Uh, I, I saw it described somewhere as like uh, learning learning how to run marathons and the first time you're at a marathon, you know, you stand at the starting line, there's like, you know, 10,000 runners. They're all uh, all stretching and they're all joking around. Everybody's enthusiastic. Everybody's, you know, light and, and they can't wait to do it. But then if you go at the finish line at the end of the race, a lot of them never finish. They get tired, negative self-talk uh, kind of uh, uh, leaks into their brains, self-doubt. They start comparing themselves negatively to runners who pass them by, who seem like they're, they're better runners, which further discourages people. They might be running along the street where they see billboard ads for beer or soda, which distracts them. Worries come to their mind. Meditation is kind of like that. You need to see meditation as a long-term discipline that's going to require a lot of patience and practice and perseverance. Because it's really hard at the beginning to kind of stay there and sit calmly and try and notice your mind. But it gets easier like everything else. Um, it's hard for everybody to get started. It's even not that easy all, you know, years later. But if you stick with it, it gets easier. Uh, the Eknath Eswaran meditation book that I read. Uh, his, way, his process for meditation was to memorize passages like spiritual passages from different religions and things, that had a, a message that was important to you, They had some deep words or some meaning that maybe had something to do with what you were working on in your life. Because if you would meditate on those, you, I would memorize those, and then you repeat them slowly with your eyes closed to yourself. And the idea was that over time, those words and those thoughts uh, would sort of slowly but surely sink unconsciously into, into you where they would start to shape how you think and how you live. Those messages from those prayers from those passages would come alive. We internalize the lessons. It's like the words in the passages that speak to you are the ones that you want to memorize, the ones that resonate with you. It might show you a new way of living, a new way you want to be like. The first prayer I memorized was the prayer of St. Francis because I was trying to be uh, become less externally motivated and more being of service. So that's the one. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. I'd memorize that. And over the years, I, I probably memorized 25 passages from all different kinds of spiritual practices and religions. Um, and you sit and you, and you repeat those. And if you kind of get stuck or your mind wanders off, you go back to the beginning and you start over. That's just one way to meditate. There's lots and lots of ways. If I was you, I would Google different meditation practices, read some books, read articles, find the way that fits for you. I remember a, a long time ago, what, what started happening when I was in the middle of those those that 20, 30 minutes of meditation time was uh, ideas would pop in my head for a blog or for a podcast or for the book I was uh, was uh, writing. And so at first I was like, oh gosh, I'm trying to calm my mind and these thoughts are popping in my head. Then I realized one of the benefits of meditation is when you calm yourself down, that those kind of creative thoughts do pop up. And so I, I have now, did and still do, I have a notebook notebook right next to me with a pen. So when a thought pops up, I write it down, then I go back to my meditation. So I'm strongly encouraging you to slow down this year. And to take take stock of, you know, what's important. Girls have been told you can have whatever you want, you can be what you want to be, you can have it all. And I think that's that's true, maybe but I think what's more true is, it's better for you to have a mindset that says, I can have it all, as long as you are in charge of what that means for you. Unfortunately, having it all for many people is about what other people are doing. Comparing yourself to other people. Cultural standards and expectations. People run their lives by shoulds. I should be doing this. People do things to, because they're, they're afraid of being criticized if they don't. They worry about how they look or they worry about being judged. So having it all a lot of times isn't your definition. It's the definition of everybody else around you. So I'm encouraging you and I'm encouraging you to to also talk to your daughters about having it all means you being in charge of what your life is going to be like. It's your life. You set the pace. Consciously make choices about your work, about your schedule, about how you spend your time about your relationships, who you spend that time with, allowing time for self-care and meeting your own needs too. Uh, for ex- let me give you a couple of quick examples from my own life. Um, I went to medical school, did my three-year residency in pediatrics, got board certified in pediatrics, and then I did a two-year fellowship in a specialty called developmental and behavioral pediatrics. And so my idea was I was I was gonna do a general pediatrics, be a general pediatrician, then do some of this developmental stuff on the side, and then see, you know, down the road what it would lead into. After a couple years of being a general pediatrician in a small town south of St. Louis, where my partner and I were getting hammered, we were so busy. And back then, this is going to age me, back then there were no cell phones, there were beepers. And the beeper would go, beep, 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 Dr. Jordan, please call the hospital. And so, and then I had to run to a pay phone if, if I was out i run to the home landline if I was home. And so I realized early on that my time was not my own. And I I had seven siblings growing up. My dad worked long hours trying to, you know, uh, make sure he could provide for us because my mom was a homemaker. So my dad wasn't home very much. And I told myself as a kid, I remember consciously saying to myself, when I'm a an adult, and I have a family because I always wanted to have kids. When I have kids, I'm going to be there for them. And so I, I made a decision way back then, about 30 years, 30 something years ago, to leave my peds practice and start doing developmental peds stuff because I wanted to be in charge of my schedule. I wanted to be able to be there. My kids got off the bus some days. I wanted to be able to be around to coach their teams. I wanted to be home more for my, my wife, Ann, and my three kids. And that I think that hindered my practice. It it hindered our. It decreased our income for a while. It took me longer to get where I'm where I am. But it was it was a it was okay. I was willing to do that trade-off because I wanted to slow myself down. That was a conscious choice. I'm I'm encouraging all of you to to zoom out of your life, step back, and say, what's important to me. I remember uh, about a year ago, my wife and I had to tear down our deck because it was all rotted and so we put in a little uh uh, not a little a medium-sized four season room and it it, we have three and a half acres of woods outside our backyard and so it faces that and it's and it's all windows the walls are all windows so we can see all the trees it's just beautiful it's very calming and i love that room and i insisted to ann that we were not going to put a tv in there because she wanted to put one above the fireplace i said no 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 i this is going to be our quiet space our talking place our reading space and so um one of my intentions last january was i wanted to, to be less concerned about the latest netflix series even though i have enjoyed some of them i want to spend uh, more time this year reading yeah because we had this new room that was so awesome with the little fireplace and a nice comfy couch and all that. And I did. And so this year I took a reading challenge on this app called Goodreads along with my, uh, my, one of my sons and my daughter-in-law. And so far this year, I've got about uh, four weeks left in the year. I'm on book 42. I've read 42 books this year, about half fiction, about half nonfiction. I'm not saying this to, you know, to, to brag. I'm saying it because it was a conscious choice to slow down. And not be so worried about, the, you know, keeping up with everybody else who's watching all these TV shows. Conscious choice you can make with your family about sports teams. How many teams are they going to be playing on? And what's the, and if you have uh, a club team, it's going to be very demanding. Do you really want that? I see a lot of kids who are playing two on two soccer teams at the same time. Plus other activities. And there's just no... Downtime, no slowed down time to just relax, to be bored, and to do other things. There's a quote by a man named Blaise Pasquale who said, All of man's miseries derive from not being able to sit quietly in a room alone. And I believe that. I see it in girls all the time. We have taught our girls, we've conditioned them to be busy and distracted we have not done a good job of teaching them how to slow down, get quiet, and to go inward. We've lost some very important words in this culture. Words like solitude, reflection, soul searching, deliberateness, slowness. We've lost that. We, we, we're much more conditioned to f- over-focus on busy, more, 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 instead of less. And we've got to teach our girls to slow down and to learn to be alone without feeling lonely. And a lot of girls don't like to be alone because of that. All their thoughts and feelings come up and they don't know how to control it. And they get overwhelmed. But they can learn in that quiet time to do meditative things like drawing, or painting, or coloring in those adult coloring books, playing an instrument, Writing stories or poetry or writing songs or or just journaling. To find things that they love to do that calm them and refuel them. That's not what our devices do. It's fun sometimes to be a little distracted and to to watch Netflix and and to see movies and get on YouTube. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just that we do so much of it and we don't do enough stuff that actually does replenish us. Those things don't replenish us. They just distract us. Time in nature. We've got to have times for, our, for all of us and our families to unplug from our devices like we do with the girls at camp. Taking technology breaks. I want all of you this year, this is one of my hope for you, is that you will stop multitasking and practice more one-pointed attention. To discipline yourself, to be fully engaged in whatever you're doing, to be mindful and present, to do one thing at a time, and slow things down. I remember when I, was, when I was in college, I went to St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas, and I remember at nighttime there was always little groups of us that would just walk around campus. We like we go to the library, we'd study, and we we'd be kind of tired, but instead of just going to bed, and back then we didn't have you know cell phones, we didn't have social media, we would go outside and we'd walk around campus, like you know for a half hour, an hour, just talking, just kind of like you know de-stressing, if you will. That was so valuable to do that. I met one of my friends was got engaged to her, her junior year in college, or maybe it was her senior year, and they got all the way to the spring. They had sent out invitations, the whole deal, and then she got cold feet, and she also realized I don't want to marry this guy. And so she didn't know what to do because you know she was going to disappoint people and piss people off, all that, and so she decided to have the courage to stop the wedding. She called her parents and said, I know we've done all this stuff, but I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. I asked her how she came to that. How did she, how did she get to the point where she realized that that wasn't right for me? And she said, I used to walk around my campus at, at, uh, at nighttime as well. And that was my time to think. Free from distractions, I was just walking around, just kind of thinking. We need to teach our kids to do things like that. To learn to be alone. Wayne Dyer said one time, you cannot be lonely if you like the person you're alone with. Let me say that again. I love that quote. You cannot be lonely if you like the person you're alone with. Self-care is self-love. Getting fully engaged in things that you choose, that you love to do, that you get into those flow moments doing, and you feel fulfilled by, that's a, that's a good way to, to be alone and to be happy and to be fulfilled and to slow down and be fully present with one thing at a time. So I want you to consciously step back from yourselves and think about where you put your focus in your family with your parenting. I want you to think about removing the pressure for everybody to get all A's and to make select teams and to so much focus on winning championships and, and being accepted into a top college. I want you to start valuing character over achievement. I want you to consciously refuse to enter that rat race of keeping up with the Joneses' children that I've talked about in previous podcasts. And slow it down. I have two quotes I want to end this podcast with. The first one is by William Martin. He said, Do not ask your children to strive for extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of, of tasting tomatoes and apples and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand. And make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. And last, a quote by the Dalai Lama. Man sacrifices his health in order to make money. And then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. Then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. Result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he is never going to die. And then he dies having never really lived. I want you to fully embrace each moment, and I want you to really live this year. Maybe make an intention for slowing down. Thanks so much again for always being here. Thanks for listening to these podcasts this past year. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm getting more and more people listening in and sharing them with their friends, which I really, really appreciate. I'm very grateful for. I'll continue, continue to put these out every week. So uh, thanks so much. Happy holidays. And I will be back here with you in a week. Swimsuit, check. Sunscreen, check. Phone charger, check.